couple of weeks ago, I spoke about family trees and the fact that family history plays an important part in forming the sort of people we are and the people we become. For good or ill, our families and what happens within them can often have the greatest influence on the way we turn out. Some of us have very straightforward families and the passage of time flows seamlessly down through the generations. Others live within more complex situations which has its own joys and sorrows. Given the appalling story we've just heard, I suggest to you that Job's family history is really something else. You may know that the book of Job is quite long and it tells the story of a good man who seems to have everything going for him and then suffers total disaster. The book starts by telling us how very blessed he was, how fabulously wealthy, highly regarded. He's described as the greatest man among all the people of the East, which is quite some accolade, isn't it? I can't think of any character references which come much better or much more glowing than that. Another translation simply calls him the richest man in the East. We're also told that Job was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. So Job really was quite something. And you might want to read the story for yourselves during this coming week. A few days ago, I discovered, a, rediscovered, I suppose, a wonderful summary of what Job has just read to us. In a nutshell, it says this. Job is a good man with a big family, lots of friends, a healthy business and respect for God. Basically, he loses it all. Raiders steal his camels, lightning cooks his sheep, a desert storm kills his children, and finally, he's covered in an epic case of boils. And all this happens before chapter two. So as stories go, as life stories go, it's not a great start, is it? The sheer awfulness of the news these four messengers bring is beyond belief. And when Job hears this terrible news, because it just comes in one thing after another after another, he's absolutely distraught. He's overcome with grief. But the Bible straight off tells us two remarkable things about Job. Firstly, it tells us he fell to the ground, and we would expect that. But what it actually says is that Job fell to the ground in worship. So that's the first remarkable thing about this remarkable man. And the second thing the narrator tells us is that even in the face of this tremendous loss, which would absolutely floor most of us, Job does not blame God. He falls to the ground in worship and he says, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. We often use a variation of those words at the beginning of the funeral service. We say the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that sounds contradictory, doesn't it? To bless God for something which is usually so unwanted, sometimes so undeserved. But maybe the big question is this. What sort of character do we see in a man who reacts like this? Well, a much stronger one than mine, I can tell you. Listen to those words again. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. He does not blame God. But his wife does. 
quite early on, she comes to him and says, you are still as faithful as ever, as if that's a bad thing. Why don't you curse God and die? And I think Job's character shines through his reply. He says, you're talking nonsense. When God sends us something good, we welcome it. How then can we complain when he sends us trouble? He doesn't blame God. And I don't know about you, but every time I read that, I am profoundly challenged. When trouble comes, how do I react? How do we react? The last three and a half months have been challenging for all of us. For some of us and for people we know, the coronavirus has impacted our lives more deeply and more shockingly than we could ever have imagined. It's brought loss of all kinds, physical bereavement for some, job loss, uncertainty, concerns about mental and physical health, and for some, isolation. And the thing is, we don't know when or how it's going to end. I think we sometimes find it hard to praise God in circumstances like this. I'm not sure that our instinctive reaction is like Job's, that our instinctive reaction is to worship him. To turn to him, yes, but to worship him? I wonder if that challenges you as much as it does me. So all this happens and then Job's friends arrive. And at first they do absolutely the right thing. They just sit with him and they have the wisdom to remain silent in the face of his enormous loss and the tragedies that have overtaken his life. For a week, to honour his period of mourning, they sit with him. While Job speaks, he pours out his heart and they just listen. At the church where I served my curacy, we had a lovely pastoral assistant and when the wife of one of our older church members died he went to visit him regularly and he went faithfully for a couple of years and at the end of that time the widowed man said to a friend do you know he was absolutely wonderful he said in all this time he gave me not one single word of advice he just listened and to start with Job's friends do the same so far, so good. But after a while, they found they can't do the silence thing anymore, and they start to talk. And much of the rest of the book is taken up with what are called the discourses between Job and his friends. Such long speeches, so many words. They know he's a good man, a God-fearing man, who's done nothing wrong, nothing to deserve all this. And Job's friends try to explain away his suffering in what were then traditional religious terms, that good is rewarded and evil is punished. And to them, it's absolutely clear cut. They're trying to be helpful. They're trying to say the right thing. But really, what can you say to someone who has lost so much? Job refuses to accept their explanation. Yes, he's baffled by God's treatment of him, but he still hangs on to his faith by his fingernails. He looks honestly at himself and he knows that he's an innocent man. He protests his innocence and he says, how can God do this to me? I'm a righteous man, I've always followed God, always been faithful, always trusted him. And now this. 
And eventually, when he's run the gamut of all his emotions, he becomes really angry with God. And by the way, that's okay. And then a terrific storm arrives out of nowhere and God shows up. And God speaks to Job through the storm, not to explain or to make excuses, but just to remind Job that he is God. To remind Job of all that God has created and all that he has done. And once again, Job prostrates himself in awe. Someone has described Job as one of the outstanding characters in the Bible. He's described as righteous. He tries to live in a good way and do the right thing. He's honest. He knows his own failings. His skin disease, in this particular instance, means that he is immediately a social outcast. So this is all taking place outside the city gates on the rubbish dump, which is quite a come down for such a wealthy man. All through the story, we pick up on different aspects of Job's character. Even in his worst moments, he continues to trust God. In chapter 13, he says, even if God kills me, I will hope in him. And a few chapters further on, words which will be familiar to lovers of Handel's Messiah. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth and I will see God with my own eyes. As we draw to a close, a few things to mull over this week. For Job, what was left when everything else had been stripped away? For us, what have the last three months taken from us and what is left? What have we learnt? What are we still learning? What have we realised we can do without? What's kept us going and what continues to sustain us? I guess that most of these questions boil down to just two things. Like Job, are we beginning to rediscover what is important? And where is God in that? It would be unfair to leave this story without reminding ourselves that for Job there is a happy ending. Job knows and acknowledges that whatever his circumstances, God is still God. After God has spoken, Job responds in repentance and faith. Despite their shortcomings, his friends are still his friends at the end. God rebukes them, Job prays for them, and harmony is restored. And we hear the glorious good news that God made him prosperous again. He restored to him children and livestock. We're told that God blessed the last part of Job's life even more than he had blessed the first. And Job lived to a ripe old age. In all of this, both the good and the bad, the character trait I keep coming back to is Job's integrity. This man's life was all of a piece. He knew he wasn't perfect, but he lived a righteous life. He was God-fearing, he shunned evil. His wife wanted him to curse God, but he wouldn't. His friends urged him to turn his back on God, but he didn't. When everything was stripped away from him, he refused to blame God. Instead, incredibly, we may say, he worshipped him. No matter what is going on around us, when we have doubts, and that's all right too, when we think, I can't do this anymore, 
Whatever our circumstances, maybe we can remember these words, which I always find very moving. I believe in the sun, even when it is not shining. I believe in love, even when I cannot feel it. And I believe in God, even when he is silent. Amen.